All right, we're going to begin a series looking at Christmas. And so this morning, we're going to start by reading a passage of Scripture that we usually don't associate with Christmas, and that is the beginning of Genesis. So if you want to turn to Genesis 1, we're going to read an extended passage out of Genesis 1 because I believe it shows us and really conveys to us why Christmas is such a good deal. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But my wife is going to come up, and she's going to read for us out of this passage in Genesis. We're looking at Genesis, we're starting in Genesis 1, and we're going to read part of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and all of chapter 3. And so uh, I thought her voice is much more pleasant to listen to than my own voice. And so I thought you'd be appreciative of that. (laughs) But um, let's just take a moment and pray, commit our time together, and then we'll begin to read. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for this, the Christmas season where we were able to reflect on your gift of life to us and the gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning we want to ask you to help us to understand your word. Let it not just be words being spoken, let it be life to us. God, and we thank you that you promise your word does go forth and is effective and does not return void to you. So, Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts and that you would give us the gift of faith to believe and to understand and to receive with great joy your words that are being spoken to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to remove any distraction or hindrance. Let our eyes be focused upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. What Johnny didn't tell you is I was the fourth person he asked. (laughs) In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that that he had made And behold, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord had made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and when no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work to work it, and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast in the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Thank you, Michelle. She's the best-looking Bible reader we've ever had. (laughs) I just want to bring our attention to a few things, and the reason I had her read that is I wanted to summarize it, but I thought the Word of God does such a better job at describing for us what had happened in the fall of man. And so we see in the beginning the story of creation. God created everything. It was good. 
there is harmony, there's peace, there's unity. And God said it is good the way it should be. And then we see the story of the fall. The sin enters the world. The serpent approaches the man and woman. The serpent becomes really the, the first theologian, begins to reason about God with people. And instead of Adam stepping in and saying, Lord, why is there a talking serpent? Why are, why are we being asked to eat this fruit and consider these things? Adam sits idly by and allows his wife to eat of the fruit, and then he himself eats of the fruit, breaking the law of the Lord, doing the, doing the very thing that God had asked him not to do. And then God brings the judgment or the curse upon mankind because of disobedience to God. At that point, sin enters the world. And it affects not only Adam and Eve, but all of humanity. And us as, as children of our parents and Adam and Eve, we've been affected by this as well. And so what I want to do this morning is to look at how this sin, how this corruption has affected our lives because it gives implication and really gives us understanding to why Christmas is so significant for us. We don't necessarily understand why it's such good news until we realize the place that we're in in the, in, the, in the very beginning anyways. And so this becomes good news for us because of, of what God has done, but because of the place that we are at. So I want to make some observations about the effects of sin and the effects of, of, of Adam and Eve's disobedience, but by and large, all of our disobedience. This sin has affected all of us in one way or the other in all of our lives. And so let's look at the effects of sin, and then we're going to look at then why Jesus Christ coming for us at Christmas is such good news. So sin affects us in a number of ways. First and foremost, sin does this. It makes us guilty before God. It makes us judicially guilty. We are guilty as charged. And it affects our relationship and standing before a holy and righteous God. There was a time when I was in high school and I was probably a junior or senior in high school. And I used to, I had the, my parents allowed me to use the car and none of my friends had a car. And so I ended up driving to school every day. And so I'd run and pick up my three friends we'd head on to school. And I think I made my brother walk because I wouldn't take him in my car with my friends. But I would, I would run and kind of do the loop of picking up my friends from school. Well, one morning, we're, we're actually on Spring Street, which is a street right behind us here, a couple blocks down that way. I'm picking up my friend, and there's a school bus there, and the school bus is kind of like the stop sign. It's kind of just is opening. And I thought, well, until it's fully, like, opened and the school bus lights go on, I can kind of buzz around it real quick to beat it so I don't have to wait behind a school bus as it makes, you know, 10 stops on a street. So I buzz around the school bus real quick. I'm like, okay, I made that. It was good. Well, it just so happened that after school that day, as I'm heading back home, that same school, and I didn't know it was the same lady driving the school bus at that time, but she's in the bus again, and she lets, she, the arm comes out. I stop, and uh, a couple of the neighbor kids that I knew since they were infants, really, that lived on our street since we were little kids, they get out of the bus, they start walking across the street. And me being thinking I'm funny, I start revving my engine and start kind of like lurching the car forward like I'm going to run them over just to, just to give them a good scare, you know. 
Well, the bus driver doesn't know that I've grown up with these kids and I'm just joking around. She thinks I'm, I'm psycho. I'm crazy because this is the same guy who went around my bus this morning. And it's the same guy who's threatening to run over small, innocent children after school on the bus route. This kid needs to be stopped. And so lo and behold, um, the principal approaches me at school and he's like, man, the, the police are here. They're cons- what are you doing we know you're a pretty good kid, but why are you, you know, threatening children and, and, you know, doing all these things? And so I ended up getting a ticket for that. And because of that ticket, I had to go before the judge in the Lake County Courthouse and uh, stand before the judge. And as I get up there, it's the state of Indiana versus John Hamstra. And so it, there's nothing like being going against the state of Indiana that really kind of, as a, as, a, as a kid in high school, really puts puts a sense of fear into your heart. And there it was, I had to declare my innocence or guilt before the judge. And there's something inside me like, look, I can explain this to the judge. Okay. I, I know these kids and the arm was still coming out. So I didn't technically go around a stop bus. It was still kind of rolling to a stop and they'll understand. But my dad talked some sense into me and said, you just need to declare, declare yourself guilty. So I did. And there I was, um, guilty as charged, put on probation for six months, and then let off the hook. And nothing became – I didn't do anything after that, obviously. I was, I was a really good driver. I never threatened to run anybody over after that. But the thing is, it changed my relationship to the state of Indiana. I wasn't the same anymore. I was put under probation. I was guilty as charged. I had to stand before the judge and declare – that I, yes, indeed, was guilty of the things I've been charged with. In the same way as our sin affects us and our standing before God, because God is a holy and righteous judge. He is just in all his ways. He is righteous and perfect. And we come before God sinning against God in our rebellion and everything that we do that does not glorify and honor God and obey, and obey his law, we, we stand condemned and judged before Almighty God. And we have no choice but to declare that we are guilty. There's no opting out of it. There's no explaining away why we did what we did. We're guilty as charged. And so the effects of sin are, number one, that we stand before God guilty. Number two, the effects of sin are this, corruption or depravity. There's a pollution of the human character. Now, what this, what this means is that, number one, that we are still image bearers. That means we are still made in the image of God. And we are still important to God as such. And it, depravity, as I say that, it doesn't mean that we are going to do every sin that we possibly could or that we are as evil as we possibly could be. What depravity and what I'm talking about speaks most fully to is the pervasiveness of sin. There is a pervasiveness of sin. There's a corrupting, a total corrupting of our character shot through a sin. Even when doing good, there is sin involved. Isaiah 64, six says this, that we have all become like the one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Even in our greatest moments of service to God and to the church and to one another, 
we are still full of self. Guys, during singing on a Sunday morning, I'm up here with my family and I love my kids. But I'm sure you've noticed my kids sometimes don't want to sing. They don't want to lift their hands and call out to God asking for mercy and grace and help them to be better children, to obey their parents. Sometimes my kids are bad. And if you sat behind me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This morning, I'm, I'm fighting with John Michael, and he wants to lay down because his nose hurts. And it's, it, it makes sense to him. My dad, my nose hurts. I need to lay down. I'm like, son, you don't need to lay down. Laying down does not fix your nose. What you should be is we should, we should sing songs and we should worship. And I want you to stand here. And he's, he's crying, dad, I just want to lay down. My nose hurts. And, and so here I am in the middle of this worship service and I'm battling a fear of man. I'm embarrassed. I feel like, oh man, everyone's looking at my kid. Everyone knows that and can hear him crying. And everyone knows that I'm, that, you know, I'm the pastor and we should have perfect kids and be an example and the light to everyone else. And here he is, he's fighting with me and he's crying and complaining and arguing and, and I'm getting upset. You know what? That describes a lot of our, the way in which even in our service, even in the way that we worship God, there's, there's a bit, there is self included in that. And you've known there's times in your own life where you have been worshiping, you've, you've served your brains out all day at church. And then even in the midst of that, there's this, oh, I just want to be recognized. I hope someone sees and sees that what I've done. I hope someone sees how much money I gave and I hope someone notices what I've done. And, or you get angry at someone and, oh, I just ruined my day. And I can't believe they did that. And even in the midst of our greatest usefulness and service to God, there's still a bit of the self involved, isn't there? Even in a worship service for me, there's battle against my sin. There is a battle against my flesh, against my desires that are waging war against the spirit of God in me. And so even in this, this is the effects of sin. This is all of us. We all do this. Number three, we are affected by death. Not only physical death. As you get older, our bodies break down. We begin to die. Ask anyone over the age of 30. <laughs> it happens. And most of you in this building are probably around the age of 25. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just wait. It's coming. <laughs> but not only is it physical death is what it talks about in this passage, but a spiritual death. There is a spiritual deadening in our hearts. We are unable to respond to God in our spiritual deadness. Ephesians 2 talks about this. It says we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We're dead. Sometimes we get the picture. People talk about, you know, we're, we're drowning in the ocean. We're fighting for breath and we're calling out to God to, to rescue us and save us. And God graciously throws us a life preserver. That's not the truth. We're, the, the way that the scripture describes us apart from God is we are dead. We're not swimming we're on the bottom of the ocean floor. We're a corpse. There's no life in us at all. We're unable to call out to God. The very fact that we're, any of us are even sitting in this room this morning is a gift of God's grace to us. It's a gift of God's mercy to us. It is God's kindness 
It is God at work in our lives, drawing us to himself. Him reaching out to us on the bottom of that ocean floor, us not responding and taking hold of us and bringing us back up and breathing new life into us. That's the model for us. So not only is there, is there guilt before God, not only is there a depravity in our hearts, not only is there an effect of death, but there's also disharmony. There's also disharmony. These, this is the effect of sin. This is the effect of, of this sin in the beginning that's been passed down to all of us. There's disharmony. Number one, disharmony with God. Like we just said, there's spiritual and physical alienation. There's disharmony within creation. We see wars and storms where there's animals that if a lion walked in this room, it wouldn't be just, hey, let's go pet, let's go pet the lion and have fun with him. We're running and jumping out of the windows. We're afraid for our lives. There's disharmony in creation. Not only is there disharmony in creation, but there's disharmony with, the, with one another. There's marriage, family, national distrust, war. How many people had some kind of trying moments over Thanksgiving? How many people here had moments in, 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 in the midst of this perfect, ideal, serene setting of family coming together and just the warmth and the joy that should be there? And there's some strife. Someone says something they shouldn't say. Someone loses their temper. Guys, there's disharmony. Not only that, I was just I was looking this up this 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 week on a national level level within between countries. Out of three thousand four hundred and twenty one years of documented history that we have, there have only been two hundred sixty eight years of peace. That is less than eight percent of the entire documented history of the human race that has peace in it. The other 92 plus percent has got war in, in, in its amongst us. There is a, that's unbelievable. That's staggering. That is staggering. Not only is there a disharmony with God, with creation, with each other, but even, even within our own, in our own lives and our own hearts, there's disharmony. There's times when we are battling our own selves. There's a war being waged in our own hearts. So why do we have all of these problems? Why do we have all of these things happening at once? It's because of sin. It is because of sin. Because we are guilty before God, because we are dead in our sin, we are unable to save ourselves. And if we walk up to the mic in the courtroom of Almighty God, and declare ourselves not guilty. We can't do that. We're, we'll never, never be able to do that. So this for us is a reason why Christmas is such good news. Why Jesus Christ came. This is why, because we need a Savior. This all points to the fact that we need a Savior. We need a savior. We are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to make right the wrongs that we've done. 
We are unable to respond favorably to God apart from God doing that within us. We need a savior. And this is, this has been not only our history, but the history of humanity. This has affected everybody. No one's off the hook for this. And so God graciously gives us a savior. One of the, one of the words, one of the names that is used to describe Jesus. And this is out of Matthew one twenty three. It says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. God didn't send someone else to take care of the problem. He came himself for our sins. I want to read a passage out of Romans that highlights for us not only the effect of sin, but the hope that we have in Jesus. And this is out of Romans 5. If you want to turn with, with me to Romans 5, we're going to read verses 12 through 21. This highlights for us what we just read out of Genesis is what this is referring to in the death of Adam and the sin that has been passed on from Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's men's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, that's us, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteous, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ has come to save us from our sins. Jesus says in Matthew 20 that he gives his life as a ransom for many. God did not leave us without hope. If, if Genesis was the end of our Bible, Genesis 3 was the end of our Bible, 
And all we are left with is the judgment against us and the realization that we are sinners, unable to save ourselves. We would have no hope. We would have no hope. And we need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. And in our state of depravity, we're unable to make atonement for our sin. We're unable to pay for our sin. And that's why we need a Savior. And God, in His kindness, in His mercy, in His grace, came, gave His life on the cross as a substitute because we had no other hope. Christmas is good news for us. Because God gives us a hope. God, has, God offers us the opportunity of life. Where we are without hope. We are without the ability to save ourselves. Without the ability to make payment for our sin that we've committed. At Christmas, God sends Jesus Christ as a gift for us. To make payment for our sin as a substitute for us. And Jesus Christ died on the cross, giving his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And now we have hope. We're not left. We're not left at Genesis 3. We're not left in despair. God graciously and kindly and mercifully gives us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It is the greatest gift to us. It's the offer of eternal life. It's the gift of himself. He doesn't say, I will just, I'll come here, live my life. He says, I will identify myself with you and will walk with you and will love you. I want to ask you something today. If you sit here today, have you put your hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you done that? Have you done that? This means turning away from our sin, turning away from our rebellion against God, turning towards Jesus with our whole hearts. It means repentance, submitting our lives to him, asking him to forgive us, of our sins because we are unable to do it on our own, asking him to cleanse us and forgive us. If you are here today and you have never done that, I want to ask you to consider that today. Let today be the day of salvation. This message that this Christmas would be good news for you, that you are no longer stuck in your sin and depravity. You've got the hope of Jesus Christ. But there's some of us here today that even have given our lives to Christ and have repented of our sins. But yet we, we think as we start that way, we start our Christianity by repenting and trusting in Jesus fully for our salvation. Then after that, we try to walk out our salvation by doing good things. So, so well, we come, to, we come to Almighty God through Jesus Christ at salvation then we continue on in our life by trying to do good things and earn our way to God. This message of salvation, the gift of Jesus Christ, 
is good news because we don't earn our salvation. We don't walk in favor with God because we've given so much, worked so much, done so much, served so much, any of these other things. We stand before Almighty God still today based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And the good news that it was for us at the day of salvation still continues to be good news for us today. Because even if we had the most horrible Thanksgiving week, we blew up on our relatives, we got angry at our kids, we, we sinned against God, we can come before Almighty God today and say, Lord, forgive me. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I can't do this on my own. I've tried and I failed. And today it is still good news for us. So we sing these songs on a Sunday morning. It's not just good news the day we got saved. It is good news for us every single day. Because the way that we relate to Almighty God is still based on the person and work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It is still the same. That will never change. It will always be that way. You know what? Even though Jesus comes and sets us free, we still battle sin. We still battle sin. And you know what? God gives us the grace and the strength to keep fighting day after day after day. Guys, this battle with sin, although we've been forgiven and set free and empowered to walk in obedience, like I said, we still relate back to God because of Jesus Christ and his grace. This battle is not finished until we are dead and we see Jesus face to face and we are changed forever. Then the battle's over. It's done. And so I want to just encourage us this morning as we consider our own lives and even this past week, are we relating to God based upon what we do or, or are we relating to God because of what Jesus Christ has done? When we think about Christmas, is it a mad rush of grabbing gifts and setting up the house and trying to get everything squared away so we can deliver to our children or to our relatives the perfect holiday they've always wanted? Or is it the understanding that we are sinners saved by grace and that Jesus Christ has given himself, even in the midst of our depravity, even in the midst of our sin, he's given himself to us. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never heard this before. The offer of salvation, the offer of new life in Jesus Christ. We're going to pray and we're going to take communion. But I want for us to have this understanding as we leave here today. That is the gift of Jesus Christ, is him coming at Christmas, clothed in flesh, to give himself as a ransom for our sin. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning for the gift of life and the gift of yourself to us. Lord, that you've not left us as orphans, but, Lord, you've taken us and have adopted us into your family. And so, Lord, we want this morning to say thank you. God, we are grateful for the way in which you have taken hold of our lives and the way in which you have loved us the way in which you've given us the grace to respond to you. 
And Lord, we want to now partake in communion and celebrate your life that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here today who's never responded to your offer of salvation, Lord, I pray that you would do a a work in their hearts today. God, that you would change us, that you would give us the gift of repentance, the gift of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.